at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart go left button go left roll the way stop broadcast button speech off alas and did my savior bleed and did my sovereign die would he devote that sacred head for search a warring as I at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away it was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. And I give God the praise for that assurance. Good evening. This is Percy Garrett in the great state of Alabama, the city of Dothan. And as you already know, Dothan is a biblically named city. Joseph's brother said, let us go to Dothan. And the Bible tells us that the prophet Elijah resided in Dothan. And guess what? Percy W. Garrett resides in Dothan, Alabama. And by the way, we have a plaque downtown, Dothan, uh, with the inscription, Let us go to Dothan. So we have not forgotten it. We heard the call and we are here. Tonight, we're going to talk about God's Word and how God's Word has promise to cleanse us and make us worthy to be in his presence. How God has promised that, that he will cleanse us and that he will make us worthy to be in his presence. And we will look at that tonight. Joe, back to question, uh, and I'll summarize it. Can a sinful man, can a man full of sin be just before a holy God. That's a deep question because we find out in Scripture that everybody has sinned. Nobody is worthy of being in God's presence. The Word tells us that there's none righteous, no, not one. Not one. There is no righteous people in the world except those whom God has made righteous. Every person conceived in the womb is a sinner. They're conceived in sin and shaped in iniquity. David said that in Psalm chapter 51. But he knew that he deserved God's wrath. Even though he received God's mercy and grace and imputed righteousness, he deserved eternal wrath in the lake of fire. But God, in his mercy, gave David peace and joy. I rejoice in God's peace because he made the peace between him and I. I couldn't do it. God made peace between him and I at the cross. That which separated us from God, he dealt with through his son at the cross. There was that sin issue. There was that dirty nasty, filthy issue called sin. And I couldn't do anything about it. As a matter of fact, I didn't want to do anything about it. I felt I was okay. I didn't believe in God anyway. I didn't know God. But God knew me. Along with the rest of humanity, He knew us. But God knew me in a special way apart from the rest of the world. Listen, 
I know that all have sinned and come short of God's glory and are worthy of God's eternal punishment. But for me, he justified me uh, by the washing of regeneration in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. He redeemed me by that blood and washed me clean. Otherwise, I'll be going along with the rest of the world down into the depth of eternal damnation. But I give God the glory that he has saved me from his own wrath. I like the way Paul put it in Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He said that Christ was delivered for our transgressions. He was delivered to the Romans to be put on Calvary's cross to be punished for our sin with death. Because you know the wages of sin is death. And the soul that sinners shall die. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness, no remission of sin. But God provided a substitute for you and me at Calvary. So he was delivered to the cross to die for my sins. And then he was raised up from the dead after three days and three nights in the grave for my justification. He was raised for my justification. He died for my sin, that God would have the power, the authority, and the right to forgive me. But when he was raised from the dead, I was raised with him and in him, which means that I have been justified in him, or made righteous in him. I've, I've taken off my filthy garments, I've taken off my dirty rags, and put on a clean white robe. I have on the robe of righteousness. You do too, if you've been born again. So Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, since then we have been justified by faith. Since we have been made righteous by faith. Since we have been made clean by faith. And faith means simply to rely on God. To put confidence in God. And since we have this, this righteousness or this justification by faith, we have peace with God. God because God no longer sees our filthy garments because they're gone God no longer sees our sins they're gone as far as the east is from the west God dealt with our sins at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away it was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. I have peace with God. And that peace can never be disturbed. And the reason that it cannot be disturbed is because I didn't make that peace with God. God's Son made peace with the Father at the cross for me. And because I didn't make it, I can't break it. And since God said I have peace with him, it's an eternal peace because the gift and call of God are without repentance. God can't lie and God can't repent. God can never change his mind. So I have everlasting peace with God that can never be disturbed. However, if God had not done this work in my life, I would still be a filthy rag. Some folks believe that uh, they can never be cleansed, they can never go to heaven. But I'm going to show you tonight, my brothers and sisters, that what man cannot do for himself and what no other earthly power can do for man, God can. Now, 
Isaiah was looking at God's people in Israel and saw their hopelessness. You can turn that with me. We're going to look at one verse in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. And this is a familiar verse to you, so I won't tarry on it, but I wanted you to see where it's located and what it actually says. But we are all as an unclean thing. Isaiah was actually talking about Israel at the time, but it applies to every living soul since Adam sinned in the garden. We saw that to be true because Adam and Eve themselves became sinners and their two sons were sinners. Cain and Abel. If Cain was not a sinner, there, there would have been no blood sacrifice needed. He would not have needed to give God an offering for sin. And Cain showed that he was a sinner by his actions. He was the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. And he hated his brother Abel. And he showed forth that hatred by murdering his brother Abel. And not only that, he showed forth his sinfulness by the rejection of God. God came down and talked face to face with Cain and said to Cain, Sin is crouching at your door and wants to, to have you, desires to have you, but you must master it. And Cain did not listen to God, but over, well, was overcome by his lust for power, for control, and murder. He couldn't control Abel. So he overpowered, he overpowered him and killed him. His sin took control of his life. And he murdered his brother. He did that because he was conceived in sin and shaped in iniquity. But what, it, what his sin did was show us that he had no power. He was under the servanthood of sin. Romans chapter 6 tells us that the ungodly are slaves to sin. You are slaves to whom you serve. If you're living in sin, you are showing who your master is. The man who is saved from God's wrath in Christ shows that he is a slave to righteousness a servant of God Abel serves God Cain serves sin and Satan Abel serves righteousness who is a slave to righteousness and a servant, of, a servant of God. But only because God had done, had done a work in his life. And we'll see that as we're going into the New Testament. But uh, Isaiah talked about God's chosen people, Israel, whom God was uh, just about to cast into captivity. The northern kingdom would go into Assyrian uh slavery and disbursement and never to return to the land. And Judah, the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, would be taken out of Israel into Babylon for 70 years because, because of their uncleanness. And now that cries out uh, to God's people, 
hoping for for repentance, hoping for a change, a turning from idol gods to the only true God, knowing that they had a problem. And their problem was depravity. So he cried out in verse 6 of Isaiah 64. But we are all as an unclean thing. Isn't that amazing? We are all as an unclean thing. Thing. T-H-I-N-G. You know, across the track where I used to live. We call it, we call it thing. An unclean thing. You're an unclean thing. And and I just said, we are all, not just all Israel, but all humanhood are as an unclean thing. We are totally depraved, void of righteousness. Sure, we can do some right things, but with the wrong motive. We can even love our children, but with the wrong, but with the wrong motive. We can love our husband and wife as unclean things, but with, but with the wrong wrong motive. You can only truly love if you have him who is the author of love, him who is love, God himself living in you. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Father living in you. Did you know that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, if you are a Christian, lives in you right now? Sure does. When you do good works, they're done by the power of the Holy Spirit. When you do good works, they're done by the power of God who is at work in you, both to will and to do of his own good pleasure. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because he's working in you. So, when you study God's Word, you find out that you can do good work. You can do good things. You can love one another because God lives in you. Consider Colossians 2, 9. It talks about Christ having the fullness of the Godhead living in him bodily. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, in the human body of Jesus lives God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And that can only be because they're one God in three persons. Christ would say in uh, John chapter 14, when you've seen me, you've seen God. You've seen the Father. John 10, 13, uh, 10, 30, he says, I and my Father are one. Not one in personage. They were not the same person, but they were the same spirit. They were the same essence, the same divine nature. And that divine nature is indivisible. So when you see one, you see all three persons of the Godhead. The one triune Godhead is one. Here, O Israel, Lord thy God is one Lord. God is not three gods. He's one God in three distinct persons. God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm, whom I'm, whom I am well pleased. And he spoke in Matthew chapter 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration and told Peter, James, and John, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. God was in heaven, speaking from heaven, and Jesus was on earth with the three disciples, three apostles. And he, when he ascended to heaven, he sent back the Holy Spirit to baptize his disciples into himself to become one with him, making up his body. And he's been doing that ever since. 
every time someone becomes a Christian, they're baptized into Christ's body by the Holy Spirit, which takes up residence in them. But prior to that born-again experience, prior to that new creation, Isaiah says, we are as an unclean thing. And all of our works are as filthy rags. All our righteousness are as filthy rags. It doesn't matter what you do. Apart from God saving you from his own wrath, it's vain. It's fruitless. You can go to church every time the church door opens. As a matter of fact, you can be the first one there and open the church doors. It's all vain. It's a good thing to do if you're a Christian, but if you're not a Christian, it's all vain. You can go in and, and sit down and pray. You can give your your tithes and offerings. You can do works of ministry. It's all filthy rags. Because apart from believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's all vain. It's all filthy rags. There are many religions, such as Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Buddhism, a bunch of religions out there. But they don't know Jesus. They don't know. They don't. They don't know God. They might even speak the name Jesus, but they don't know him. If they don't know the Father and the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're not saved. They're not Christians. Second John tells you that. Jesus Christ himself would say these words in Matthew chapter 11, verse 26 and following. He said these words. No man knows the Father. Uh, no one knows the Son but the Father. Nobody. That's why no, no man can come to Jesus except the Father drawing. And no, 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 no one knows the Father but the Son. And those to whom the Son revealed him to. So if the Son doesn't reveal the Father to you, you're not going to know him. And if the Father doesn't, doesn't draw, the, draw you to the Son, you won't know Him. You just have a, a religious life that will take you all the way down to the third floor in hell. The third floor in hell. I'm not trying to scare you. Yes, I am too. No, I'm not trying, I'm not trying to scare you. I just, I just want you to know that Jesus is the way the truth, and the life. But Isaiah said, we are as an unclean thing apart from Christ and need to be cleaned up. We can't go to, go before God with dirty hands, dirty heart. He said to Israel in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18, come, let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be as scarlet, they shall be as wool. Clean and white. But only God can do that, y'all. God can give you new life. I know Job said, can an unclean man be justified before a holy God? Well, <clears throat> Isaiah will go on and tell us, tell us a, few more, a few more things. Isaiah 59. Turn, turn that just for a minute, you don't mind. Isaiah 59. I'll give you, give you a minute to get to 
How's that for tonight? I just said, behold. I like the way he puts that. Look. Behold. Are you there? The Lord's hand is not shortened. But they cannot say. The old folks used to say, the Lord's hand is not too sharp to save. But Isaiah is giving his people Israel hope that even though they have come short of God's glory, God's hand is not too short to save. Nor is his ear too heavy that he can't hear. Nor is, is his ear so heavy that he cannot listen. His ear is not covered up with the, with the a flap of, of fat of meat over his ear. Oh. Listen, listen. The Apostle Paul said that all that call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So God's ear is not heavy that he can't hear. All you need to do is call on him. And, 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 and he, he knows his sheep. And, and when his sheep call on him, they call on one whose voice they know. They are calling on him in response to him first calling them. He's the one who is standing before you saying, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. Take my yoke upon you and you'll find eternal rest for your souls. Everlasting peace. Everlasting rest for your soul. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. Verse 2 says, But your iniquities or your sin have separated you between you and your God. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. The separation, your sins has caused him to hide his face from you that he will not hear so, so we, we have to be like David. We have to confess our sins to him. And, and the biggest sin that we confess is that now we know that he's God. I mean, you, you can confess all your other sins, uh, your sins of lying and, 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 and uh, treason, adultery, uh, sorcery, Whatever you're saying is, you can confess that sin. You can be a thief. You can you can confess that a murderer. You can confess that and still not be saved. Confessing your sins does not bring does not bring about salvation. The sin that you should confess is your unbelief that He's God. Consider Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, where Paul said, if you, can, if you believe in your heart that God has placed his son on Calvary's cross and punished him with death for your sins and raised him from the grave on the third day, and, and confess with your mouth 
that his son is God, that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. So the saying that, that you should be confessing is that he's God. He's Lord. He can't be your Savior and not your God. Stephen, uh, I mean, Philip. Philip was on the Garden Strip with the Ethiopian eunuch. Teaching him, or preaching to him from Isaiah 53. Portraying, portraying the truth that Jesus was the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. By his stripes, we are healed from our sins. All we lack sheep are going astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all and saved us from his own wrath. And, I, and uh, Philip preached this truth out of Isaiah 53. And it's the open unit. Believes it. And when they got to some water, the eunuch shouted out, that water, what hinders me from being baptized? And Philip didn't say, well, you got to join the church before I can baptize you. That's not what he said. He didn't say, you got to pay your tithe and offering before you're baptized. He didn't say you got to put on a, a long white robe before you're baptized. He didn't say you got to say the sinner's prayer before you're baptized. He didn't say that. But what he did say is this to the Ethiopian unit. If you believe, you can be baptized. And the Ethiopian eunuch shouted, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And Philip did not hesitate, but took him down into the water and baptized him. He, he could do that because if he knew that if the Philip that if the eunuch believed that Jesus was God, the Messiah, then he knew that the eunuch was already baptized in Christ. The Holy Spirit had already baptized him. Otherwise, he could not have known that Jesus was Lord. Couldn't know. Those are the folks who you baptize. Those who know that Jesus is God. When they confess that he's God, then they're ready for baptism. Water baptism. Because, they, because then they've already been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Or they can't know who Jesus is. They can't know he's God apart from being baptized by the Holy Spirit. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man. Things that God has in store for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. But the natural man cannot know these things. He can't understand. They're foolishness to him. First Corinthians 12, 3 says that no man can say, no one can say that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, but by the spirit. So all that, all that other stuff, all that other peripheral stuff is meaningless. You, you got to be. <laughs> you must be born again. And only God can do that. I'm getting ahead of myself. But let's, let's move on. Isaiah 59, 3 
as I said, your your hand, your hand, are defiled with blood. I think about what's going on today, y'all. The folks' hands who are defiled with blood, and their fingers with iniquity, and their lips have spoken lies. They speak lies. I won't get into it in detail. And and the tongues utter perverseness. Uh, if you want to see what's going on today in America and the world, read Isaiah 59. And you'll see it. I'm going to just look at a couple of verses. And let's just look at some of this. Verse 14. And judgment is turned the way backwards. That, that means that there is no right judgment going forth from leadership in this country. I, I didn't want to go there tonight. But I'm just going to let you see it in this chapter. Now, God is talking about uh, Israel in this particular verse, in, in this particular chapter. But it also applies to us. It's for Israel. God's chosen people, but but as us grafted in to, to divine, it applies to us today. And judgment standeth afar. I mean, judgment judgment works both ways. There's no judgment for the ones who are being accused and killed. And there is no accountability for the murderers. Justice standeth afar off, and truth is fallen in the street. This is Isaiah 59, 14. Just that one verse. I can, I, can, I can preach and teach on this one chapter all night long. I'm going to do it tonight. And equity not enter. There is no equal justice. And out there I talked about it way back yonder. And truth faileth. It lies all over the place. I want to stop but because uh, this is just too much for me to deal with tonight. But all we like sheep are going astray. We've turned everyone his own way. And then the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Turn with me tonight to the lodgings. Chapter 1. Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison in Rome. This is one of his prison epistles. He didn't, Paul was not the one who started this church. He didn't found this church. We, uh, we believe that Epaphras was the one who founded this church and got this information to Paul about this church. So Paul is writing back to this church to encourage it and to ensure that they don't fall into the trap of false teaching. But he he encourages them. 
that your salvation is sure and on solid ground. Because that salvation is not the only work. It is the work of God. Hallelujah. And that's what that's what I want you to see tonight. That's what I want you to see tonight. Paul gives God the glory in this chapter. Specifically, specifically the 12th verse. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. He said, Give them thanks to the Father. Who has, who has made us meet, M-E-E-T. Made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He, he said, I'm giving glory to God the Father. I'm giving praise to God, God the Father for my salvation, for your salvation, he said, to the church of Colossus. God has qualified you to be made partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. God has, has made you worthy to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Before you were saved uh, by God, you were as an unclean thing. And all your works were as filthy rags. You were not worthy of going to heaven. You, you were not qualified to go to glory. But God, God did it all by himself. Hebrews chapter uh, one say that Jesus Christ purified uh, uh, you all by himself. When he, had, when he had by himself purified us, he sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews chapter 1. It's God's work. All by himself. He doesn't need any kind of synergism. He doesn't need any works on your part to be saved. For you to be saved. Consider my favorite verses concerning this matter. Turn to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Sometimes we stop at verse 9, but we got to go to verse 10. He said, It is by grace through faith that you're saved, and that not of yourselves. You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of your own works, your own human efforts. It is by grace to faith that you are saved, and that not of yourself. Verse 10. My favorite verse. For we are his workmanship. And I must back up to verse 9. Where Paul said, Not of works. That's in the mansion boast. We can't boast about what we did to be saved. We cannot glory in self. Paul said, if we glory, let us glory in Christ. For he did it all by himself. It's his work. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship. We're God's work. God is the one who brings back the born again experience. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And, and, and created in Christ Jesus is the born again experience, y'all. You can't do that. Nicodemus did not know how to do it because he couldn't. He didn't, he didn't do anything about his first birth, which was a human thing. His mother and his father. His second birth, the new, the new birth, regeneration, is done by his heavenly father. Without a, without a mother. Just the father and his creative work. 
We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. Listen now, if you're created in Christ Jesus, guess who, who lives in you? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In him, we live and move and have our being. The one God in three persons live in the Christian. Once again, I said it earlier, but let me say it again. Because I didn't go far enough. Colossians 2.9, the next chapter. In Christ, in him, dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, in Christ, the triune Godhead lives in that in that body. In verse 10, it says that you, and you are complete in him. Highlight that. And you are complete in Christ. Which means, because the Godhead lives in Christ, and since Christ lives in you, that's why we should live right. Because we're the light of the world. Because the light of the world lives in us. And in him is light. Ain't no darkness at all. We're talking, talking about God. Because God lives in you. So Paul would say, giving thanks to God the Father, who had made us meet, made us qualified, made us worthy to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. You know, folks don't want to be saints. But you are if you're a Christian. Paul never wrote to the sinners, saved by grace. He never did. You can't find Paul or any of the uh, New Testament writers writing to the sinner saved by grace. Paul always wrote to the saints. Even in this chapter, in this book, he called the, the Claudian church saints. And I'll tell you right now, either you're a saint or you ain't a Christian. Either you're sanctified Oh, you ain't a Christian. Because sanctified, uh, the word saint means to be sanctified, consecrated. And 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 tells us that you are sanctified in Christ. He's become your sanctification. He's become your your your, uh, your, your sanctification. He's become your justification. He's become your wisdom. If you ain't sanctified, you ain't a Christian. You're not a Christian. So, you can call me Saint Person. Because I have been I have been qualified. I have been made worthy to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. God has made me an inheritor. As many as are called to be sons of God, these are made Inheritors. Uh, Romans chapter eight says, "If if if sons, then heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Jesus Christ." And that's for eternity because God can't lie. God has promised me this, and God cannot change His mind. Titus chapter one tells us God cannot lie about His promises. And this is how God does this, y'all. Back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. Uh, we have been made partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We're in light because we have been uh, placed in Christ and Him in us, which means that we are in His kingdom. The kingdom of God is in us. Christ was queried by the Pharisees. When will the kingdom come? And he said, the kingdom does not come without observation. For the kingdom of God is in you. And he's in us. That light is in us. Not only that, y'all. Not only that. Since we are partakers of his glory... 
We're already, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, raised up together with him and seated together with him in heavenly places right now. In light. We're not darkness, y'all. We're light in the Lord. We have been made partakers of the saints in light. For God has, according to verse 13, delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. God has done something for us that we can't do for ourselves. He has rescued us He has saved us from sin, Satan, and hell. The kingdom of darkness. But God God doesn't stop until it's all completed. God doesn't start something that he he can't complete. Not only did he deliver us from the power of darkness. By the way, y'all, Consider that, that phrase, power of darkness. You've been delivered from that if you're a Christian, which means that you don't have to sin, which means that Satan has no power over you, which means that death has no power over you. You've been, you've been delivered from the power of darkness. You've been rescued. No Christian has to worry about being overpowered by sin. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The power of the Holy Spirit enables you power over sin. And because you have power over sin, you can't die. The only person who Go to hell is one who dies. And Christian can't die. They pass from death to life. John 5, 24. And, and, and Christ himself died in our place. Hebrews 2, 14. Inasmuch as the children were partakers of flesh and blood, he himself also likewise partook of the same, that through death he might deliver them from him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So Satan no longer had power over death. But for Christ today stands with the keys of death and hell in his own hands. And we're his bride. We're his beloved. And he will never condemn his beloved. His beloved is one with him. If he condemns, if he if he if he sends his uh bride, his beloved, to hell, he has to go too. And that's not gonna happen. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. And it didn't stop there, y'all. But it, and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Two things, two things here. Right here, right now, the kingdom of God is within you. Right here, right now. You're already seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right here, right now. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he won't take them back. Oh, time is running out. Let Let me hurry up. I want to thank y'all for being here tonight and listening to this word from God. 
Watch this, y'all. Verse 14. Colossians 2, 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Yes. In Christ, we have redemption, a salvation, the act of being rescued from God's wrath through his blood. Because of the forgiveness of all of our sins. Notice I said, notice I said, all of our sins. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 say that God has, has saved us from all LL iniquity. God has saved us from all of our iniquities. Not some, all, past, present, and future. I know it's hard to believe, isn't it? It's hard to believe that God has forgiven you of all of your low-down, nasty, dirty sin. But he has. Every last one of your sins, God has forgiven. No matter how bad they are. I was thinking today, God can forgive. The murderers. That's walking this earth today. The prostitutes. The thieves. You know, those who cheat on their tax returns. Uh, Prostitutes. Transgender people. God can forgive those folks. And seat them in heavenly places with him. He can deliver them from the power of darkness and translate them into the kingdom of his son. God has that power. It doesn't matter what you've done for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Before you go, I want you to look at one chapter, a few verses in that chapter, and we'll close out. God cleans up a dirty priest. There was a dirty high priest of God in Israel. Dirty hands, dirty heart, dirty clothes. And 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 being confronted for those sins by Satan. Satan going before God and accusing the high priest of those sins. And Satan was not wrong. Sometimes Satan accuses us us of sins that we're actually doing. He's not wrong. But just like Joshua, we have an intercessor called Jesus Christ the righteous. And he says, before God's throne, concerning our sins, totelestai in the Greek, it is finished. Those sins have been paid for. Those sins were paid for at Calvary's cross. And all my sins were paid for at Calvary's cross before I was born. The sins were paid for 2,000 years ago, as a matter of fact. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, say that those sins were paid for in Christ before the world began. Ain't that something? But Satan will accuse you before the brethren. I mean, before God. But you can be like the saints in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, who overcame him by the word of the testimony and they love not the life unto the death.